want to just now go into our, our sermon for today and, and just remind uh, any of you or some of you who are here for the first time what we've been studying uh, is this series called Misconceptions, and it's kind of an outside-in look at some biblical truth that's really important for us to work with. And we often have these ideas that we just hold on to, uh, things we say and we repeat, and we don't always know where they come from, from or even if they're true, but then we start to live with them, and it can be very dangerous. And that's the importance as Christians to always seek biblical truth and have it as the center of your life. And as Chris spoke last week, uh, he, he shared a story. His topic was the misconception of, if I go to church, then I'm a Christian. And it's that idea of just, you know, doing things in your own strength and abilities makes you a Christian. That's uh, not the case. It's God who saves us. He shared the story, his personal story of a turtle that was on its back that he helped onto its, its feet, and that's how God helps us. But it reminded me of a story of a turtle that I heard a long time ago. That was a perfect example uh, to really uh, give credence to this series and, and how we should live with proper beliefs. Uh, but it's this, this man, this naturalist, who was out in the jungle uh, studying all the things he saw with his, his journal, and day after day he'd go out and, and just, just write down everything he had seen and spend hours, and one day he saw something miraculous, really, something incredible, uh, a turtle doing something he had never seen before. And he sees this common turtle walking up to a tree, and then all of a sudden starts climbing the tree vertically, and makes its way up to the second branch about five, six feet off the ground. And he sees the turtle jump from the branch, uh, just kind of flapping its limbs, and bouncing off the ground, and then immediately going right back up the tree again climbing up to the second limb, jumping off over and over again. And he's writing this down, incredible sight. And he starts to look a little wider and notices there's these two birds on a limb that are watching, a male and a female, unfazed by this turtle and just really focused on him, tracking the sight up the tree, off the branch, over and over again. And he hears the birds talk to each other. And one says, honey, is it about time we tell our son he's adopted? <laughs> you get the idea that when you live with these perceptions, you live with these false perceptions, it shapes the way you see life. It shapes our expectations and, and the life choices. And, and the misconception uh, we're going to study today is one that I think all of us have, have definitely heard and probably have said many times in our life. Uh, it's the misconception that God will never give you more than you can handle. Okay, and, and I've heard it said uh, from others, maybe I've even said it myself at times. Well, the Bible says God will give in, never give you more than you can handle. But it actually doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. This, this idea is not found anywhere in the Bible. What we say it with, with well-meaning, we're trying to comfort people through difficult times to encourage them to just keep on keeping on and maybe even uh, attempt to minimize whatever it is they're going through. But the reality is, if you're a person that's going through an incredibly difficult situation, this is really of no comfort to you. But it can lead towards confusion and discontentment. But the, the basic understanding of this misconception is that we as people know that we have limits, right? 
And if we know those limits, we can make our plans in life, and typically those plans are going to be very comfortable and doable, and then we expect God to keep those plans in our lives, that he would bless them and, and keep them, that life should never stretch us any situation. But you know the old saying that man makes a plan and God laughs. And in this case, God probably has a big belly laugh because the biblical example and the reality is God often gives us way more than we can handle. And he leads us through very difficult situations and seasons in life. And if you live with this misconception, really there's two ways that this kind of plays out and why it's so dangerous, is that if we have that, that situation, or that season in life that is way more than we can handle on our own, we say this difficult thing must not be from God that God has essentially failed me and he's allowing me to go through this thing, or I'm not strong enough to do what God expects me to do. I'm failing God. You live with this misconception, you, you come to the point of God's failing me or I'm failing God. But God does call us to walk faithfully through these difficult seasons. And in these seasons when, when everything hurts, when we're just exhausted, we've got nothing left in the tank are really the seasons that our faith deepens in the Lord, that we know the strength of God. And this is where our faith really meets the test. So we're going into this sermon today knowing that there's some of you here who are in this season of life. We're truly in a spot where it's way more than you can handle. And I want to take a moment before we study this today just to, just to pray for you that the truth of God would really rest in you and encourage you and strengthen you. So let's take a moment before we study today just to, to pray for one another and pray for the Lord to speak into our lives. So Lord, we thank you for your promises, which uh, God doesn't mean that we are going to be void of troubles in life, but that you will be uh, with us, that you will work in us and through us through all of these things. And so God, I pray for those today uh, who are experiencing these hardships, these difficulties. Maybe it's a season they've been in for a long time. Maybe it's something just brand new in the last few days. God, would you just strengthen them today and that they would know that maybe they're in a spot where they are just throwing up their hands and saying, I don't know what to do or where to go, but I've got nothing. Uh, and God, may you just work in us to know that that is a beautiful place to be in as a Christian that you now can strengthen us and to work in us, that our weaknesses are your strength. And so, God, I pray for all of us now, as we just reflect on your biblical truth, that you would be speaking to us by your Holy Spirit and really shaping our perceptions and expectations of life and reality, uh, Lord, that you'll never leave us, but you'll walk with us and through us to the times where we can't walk ourselves. And so, Lord, I just pray again that your blessings on this time in your name. Jesus, amen. Well, the first biblical uh, insight we're going to look at this morning is really what I believe is, is probably the source of this misconception. It's a misunderstanding, really, of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And you can open up there now in your Bible. We're actually going to work primarily just through 1 and 2 Corinthians today, so that should make it easy for all you uh, page flippers out there who like to see everything in your Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, all of your translations should say tempted there, but you may see a note in your Bible that says the word, the Greek word that they translate as tempted here can also be translated as trials or testings or or hardships. So I think really the source of confusion is that people may see that this word could go one way or the other. Temptation to sin or trials and hardships, they say, it could be applied both ways. And if you read that as if you're going through a trial, it won't, beyond, it won't go beyond what you could bear. That's where you might come to the misconception of God won't give you more than you can handle. But we're going to take a quick side point here because to interpret this verse that way is to build on this misconception that is unbiblical. And I think as we look at biblical truths, it's, it's important to always seek to understand the, uh, the original intent and meaning and application in your life. And there's a great danger if you're one uh, where your Bible reading consists of just reading the verse of the day, just one verse in isolation. Well, well first, if that's all you're doing, I, I want you to keep doing that, keep reading the Word. But when you view verses in isolation like this, it's really easy to insert meaning that was not intended and then to, to build this misconception in your life. And so really we see this, this concept, uh, the $5 word here is hermeneutics. Okay, I don't want you to shut off your brain because I used a four-syllable word. But hermeneutics really is this, this study of the scriptures that you're trying to properly interpret, understand, and apply biblical truth in your life by not inserting meaning but to withdraw the original meaning from the scriptures. And this word here for tempted is what's really crucial to understand because in the Greek it's what we know as a homonym. Okay, we have them in English as well. Words that sound or maybe even are spelled the same but have uh, different meanings. Same word with multiple meanings like, like the word bat. Could be a baseball bat or, or the rodent bat. But I just want to play <clears throat> a quick game with you to, see, to, to show you how this is, really works. And it's something we're taught to do ever since we're in kindergarten is to understand the context and the meaning of things. So if you were to read a quote from me that says, I want you to beat it. Okay, Dominic Broda, 2021. And you read that 10 years from now, and that's all you saw was that one quote. It would be impossible to know for sure what I meant. Initially, you might think, I'm saying, I want you to scram. Okay, and if you knew the context of that quote that I was uh, coming out of my front door with a shotgun, it'd be one of those, you know, get off my lawn moments, right? But what if... I were um, coming to you uh, with a bowl of eggs and sugar and a whisk. I'd be asking you to whip up a meringue for me, probably, right? Maybe we're making a pie. Uh, Kids, what if I handed you a video game controller and I said, I want you to beat it? I probably need your help uh, clearing the level of Mario that I probably couldn't do myself, right? What if I were uh, coming up to you as you're going in for a cancer treatment? I would be cheering you on towards healing and health. I want you to beat this. But this is one quote in isolation can, can come to a variety of meanings if you don't understand the context. And that's really a lot of ways how hermeneutics might work. The key to understand biblical truth and to avoid these 
misconceptions that you believe are biblical is to always search for context and view them as a part of their greater narrative. And so what we see here from this verse is that God is really wanting, God is keeping us from being tempted to sin beyond what we can handle. It's not speaking of our own trials and hardships. And you go just to the top of the chapter and you see that Paul is really giving a history lesson here. He's talking about uh, the, the people of Israel, that they were freed from their bondage to Egypt. And that they saw the mighty powers of God, that as they were singing in the song today, the beam, the beam girls, that, that he led them by fire, by night, by cloud, by day, that he uh, parted the Red Sea for them to walk through. He gave them spiritual food from heaven, manna and quail, that there's water from the rock. They saw God working in all of these amazing ways. And it's possible that no group of people throughout all of history has seen God's power and provision showcased more. They were close to him. And so they should be ones who would not be tempted to sin, right? Wrong. These, these people sometimes are kind of the worst of the worst when it came to this stuff. And he goes through verses 6 through 10 that they were setting their hearts on evil things, verse 6, that they became idolaters, verse 7, that they were committing sexual immorality, verse 8, that they were putting God to the test, verse 9. And really, that's what the, the statement of God won't give me more than I can handle. That's really putting God to the test. And you might run headfirst into really dumb and dangerous situations saying, God will protect me. We're not to do those things, and Israel did that, and they paid the price for that by putting God to the test. And they grumbled and complained. We'll talk more about that later and how that affected Moses. But the point is that there were people, you see all these negative examples, that were constantly being tempted and overtaken by the temptation to sin. And so he tells us, he warns us, that this is an example for us that you should not be proud of yourself or rest on your laurels, verse 12. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And now we know very clearly how to, how to translate the word for, for temptation here. It is the temptation to sin. That God will always provide a way out. And the first part is that no temptation is original to you, okay? Everyone is tempted in different ways to sin, but if you're a Christian, you're going to experience temptation, whether you're a brand new Christian who just came out of life of addiction and hardships, or you are a senior pastor of 50 years with a PhD in theology, we're all going to experience temptation of some kind. It's a warning. But the hope and the promise is that if you are led into temptation, God will provide a way out. It's really that there's no excuse here if you're tempted into sin. God always provides a way out of temptation. But this itself presents a problem for our misconception today. Because even though that's true, everyone has still sinned. And we still have a problem that's more than we can handle. The, the weight and the penalty of sin is, is on us. We're all in situations we can't handle that we need the Lord's help to get out of. That's really the first thing is just correcting the one verse that you could use to say that this misconception today is, is, is true. It's not, okay? And a proper look at the context and interpretation says it's really speaking of something very different. 
But countless other examples in the Bible uh, show us that we're often given things more than we can handle. And really the insight number two, we're going to look at um, a couple of examples that support this, but God may, or maybe God does, often give us more than we can handle. But he never gives us more than he can handle. All right, so the, really, the real biblically, uh, biblically based concept here is God will never give you more than he can handle. And it's a really important distinction here. And the verse we're going to be keying in on a moment here is, is 2 Corinthians 1, uh, chapter 8. That's, uh, verse, verse 8, rather. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Okay, now that sounds like the Apostle Paul is in a situation where he's well beyond what he, he could handle, far beyond his ability to endure. But even just as Christians, we know in personal experiences that we're often put in those positions where we're kind of at our wit's end. And I've had the joy of walking through those seasons with a lot of you. Just in the last few weeks, I've noticed many of you are opening up about those struggles and with me and, and probably with one another. And it's things that are, are fresh or things that you've been going through for years, but you're really saying, I need help. I've got nothing more on this, and I really need someone to walk through it with me. And we have that ability as, as Christians to do that, to bear one another's burdens. And I've heard things like, I'm on empty. I'm beyond exhausted with this. I'm in over my head, and I feel like giving up. Those are the things I know about, all right? But undoubtedly, there's more of you here that are going to lose things that maybe nobody knows about, that you're in that situation that you're way beyond your capabilities and you can't handle it. But what we know today is that God can handle it. Historical, current events, things like uh, persecution, martyrdom, we know that they're, they're happening. We heard the story of Ray Rising. Now, he's in this... This, a hostage of this guerrilla group, and if you were to tell him as he's probably being tortured and you're seeing people around him die, don't worry, Ray, God won't give you more than you can handle, he probably would have laughed at you. He said, this is way more than I signed up more for, way more than I can handle. With people being persecuted around the world, and I think sometimes we lose our perspective, right? I think as a, as a church, we go through hardships, and I don't say this in any way to minimize anything anyone is going through. Okay, but there are Christians around the world who are suffering, who are persecuted, who are martyred for their faith. And it's not because they made a mistake, right? They followed the Lord and now they're in these spots. And if you say, don't worry, you can handle this, it's not going to comfort them, it's going to confuse them. And the hardest part of all that is to commit Keep God's commands to love your enemies, to pray for those who are persecuting you, to not repay evil with evil, to have that perspective like Ray did of, I'm not going to hate these people, I'm going to continue to love them. That's something well beyond our capabilities and abilities as, as humans. That's only possible through the strength of Christ in us. 
We look at the Old Testament, and these are just going to be two examples of many, countless examples in the Old Testament of people being put into places that's beyond their capabilities. We look at the leader, Moses, and, and we just heard about the people of Israel complaining, okay, that was kind of their thing. They did it a lot. And leadership, no matter what level of leadership you're at, is, is a burden. Okay, if you are a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company or, or the leader of your family, which I believe is a higher calling than being a CEO, no matter where you're at, you're going to have burden in leadership. And Moses experienced a lot of burden. Okay, he, he was commissioned by God to lead them out of Egypt to bring them through all of these hardships. And now, in Numbers 11, this is a chapter where it kind of recounts these experiences of Moses, of now they've gone through the ten plagues, they've gone through the Red Sea miracle, God is leading them through the desert, and the people are complaining. I'm tired of this manna, the same bland thing over and over again. Oh, I want to go back to Egypt where it was so good. We, we ate great every night. You know, we had pots full of stew, and we had, we had fish, and cucumbers, and melons, and onions, and oh, the garlic. I, I just want to go back to Egypt. And one night, we, we see that Moses overheard all of the families of Israel outside of their tent wailing, crying. Why would Moses lead us here? We just want to go back. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo, right? And Moses, experiencing this burden, just had enough. And he said to the Lord in Numbers 11, verse 14 and 15, I cannot carry these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Is this how you're going to treat me, God? If so, just go ahead and kill me. It sounds to me like Moses is given way more than he could handle. And he's at kind of that moment a lot of us have experienced of, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what else to do. I would rather just die than go through this. But God strengthened him in that moment. I think it was an important spot for Moses to be to admit he couldn't do it himself. And so God commissioned other leaders, gave them the power of his spirit, that he would now share the burden of leadership with others. He was well beyond what he could handle, but it was child's play for God. God could handle this. He just needed Moses to know that he couldn't. The prophet Elijah is another one. I'll go through this a little bit quicker, but he was uh, just after the Mount Carmel experience. Remember that, where he had all the prophets of Baal, and, and it was kind of the test of, let's see if your God, Baal, really does something. We'll see the power of my God, Yahweh. Okay, and they were all trying to start the fires and call down fires from heaven to, to start these fires, and it didn't work. And they sang and danced and did all the thing for hours. But Elijah was the one who just doused the wood. Right, to really prove a point, and he called upon the Lord, and it instantly went into flames. And it showed the power of God to do the impossible. And after that, the false prophets were led down into the valley and killed and destroyed. And this angered Jezebel, that he now put a, a mark on, on Elijah's head. So Elijah's running for his life, terrified and scared, even after this amazing experience of God's power. And he just kind of gives up. At one point, First Kings 19, he sat under a bush and he just prayed that he would die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid under the bush and fell asleep. 
And really what this means is he just laid there waiting to die. He gave up. I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. He was given way more than he could handle. But God heard that, sent an angel to wake him up, provide warm bread. Step above the Israelites, a warm bread that he was strengthened and he went on. That's kind of what we're seeing here in, in Paul's experience. Now, Paul is like this superhero of the New Testament. And a lot of people expected that he was kind of this bulletproof guy. He'd been through so much and that he kept going that Paul was able to handle a lot of things. But here is this refreshing honesty of him saying, I couldn't handle what we went through. None of us could. And we don't know exactly what instance this is in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. But he says, we were under such pressure that is well beyond our ability to endure it. So we despaired of life itself. We gave up. We thought we were going to die. But this important moment happens here. They said, because of this hardship, in verses 9 and 10, because of this hardship, we did not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. What he's saying is this hardship really served as an opportunity to showcase our weaknesses. We couldn't do it. We gave up, but now we understand we went through this to put our trust and our hope, not in ourselves and our abilities, but in what God and what he could do. That he's the God of all power. He's the God of impossible. And I wonder how many of us can relate to that. That we become so burdened so afflicted that we're completely zapped and out of strength. We might feel like the only thing left for us to do is die. There's nothing we can do here. But then we are pointed to an important truth. That we should never view our, our, our difficulties through the lens of our abilities. But rather, what God is able to do. God often gives us more than we can handle, but never more than he can handle. And again, this does not minimize the pain, the confusion, the brokenness and affliction you may feel through whatever thing you're going through, but it maximizes our perspective. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about his glory and his power. And that's the third point uh, we see here today. We're going to take a quick look at some verses. It's not about what we can do. It's not about what we can do for God, but really about what God can do through us. That God works best through our weakness, not our strength. And we see this again uh, through many different examples, especially in the New Testament. But if you want comfort, if you want hope, don't focus on yourself. Focus on the Lord. The last Scripture out of Corinthians we're going to read today. If you uh, flip forward now to chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians. We'll read, just, uh, read verse 9 for now. now. We don't know what exactly uh, Paul is going through here once again, but he's talking about this thorn in the flesh, this weakness in his life, 
that's kind of plaguing him, and he's praying for God, just take this away from me. Okay, this is a good spot to be in. But he received such a powerful word from the Lord. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more get gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It's this moment for Paul, once again, the superhero, the bulletproof guy saying, this is too much for me. God, I'm weak in this. And God says, that's exactly where you need to be. Because when you are weak, I am strong. Now when God speaks, we know it's everything we need to hear. God is speaking to Paul here. That his grace is sufficient, that no matter what trial you are enduring, God's grace will endure more. And it'll be plenty, it'll be all you need, and overabundant for what you're going through. If you're in this position in life where you're only pursuing what you know for sure you can handle, I think you may be losing out on so much of God's perfect and divine will for your life. Because our weaknesses really become a display of his strength. That our strength is actually his biggest rival, but our weaknesses are his greatest opportunity. And God's way is not simply just to take his children out of every trial, but to be with them through it. And verse 10 after that is, is some beautiful, beautiful words in the scripture. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our weaknesses, the hard things in our life, the things we cannot do, are a showcase of God's power. When I'm weak, he is strong. That's such a perfect and profound yet paradoxical statement that summarizes all of the Christian faith. It seems like foolishness to others to say that when I'm weak, I am strong. It's like saying when I'm tall, I'm short, or when I'm sad, I'm happy. We understand that the Christian life here has nothing to do with what we can handle, but rather with what he can handle. That when we are weak, when we are at the point of giving up, it gives him the ability to work unfettered through us. When we are weak, he is strong. I think this is one of those uh, messages, I know that, that if it's not applying to you perfectly today, maybe, maybe uh, you got it made in the shade and uh, everything is, is coming up great for you in life. I hope you can hold on to this because there's someone around you that's, that's not the case. Okay? And that's the great privilege we have as believers that when someone is struggling, that we can share those burdens, that we can comfort one another and encourage each other on the Lord to continually point each other to the one who can do anything, who can handle anything that's thrown our way. It's so ironic that this statement we use, that we kind of regurgitate, God won't give you more than you can handle, actually is so uncomforting to those who are actually going through hardships. But I think when we admit our weakness, when we call out for help, when we trust in the one who can do all things, we have unmatched comfort and hope in all things. 
So as we conclude, I just want to remind you that living in faith doesn't mean being void of any troubles or hardships. It, it means being constantly stretched beyond what you think you can handle. It means putting a deeper faith in the God who can raise from the dead. There's nothing impossible for him. And if you want to grow in your faith, go through these seasons with a deeper faith and hope and trust and the one who can carry you through them. Let's pray as we close. Lord, we want to thank you for all the ways you work, uh, sometimes so mysteriously in our lives. And, and through these hardships, we know that you, you give us tests that you uh, may, may have us go through trials. And uh, Lord, through that, we have things to learn. So I pray for those, again, who are going through those hard seasons that they may not run from you, but run to you. But God, I especially pray for anyone here today who doesn't know that hope, uh, that, that they have someone they can trust beyond themselves. Uh, Lord, that, that they would come to that place of understanding that they have sinned, that they fall short, that there's a disconnect between they and you, uh, that they would confess of that sin, that they would trust in you, Lord, to do really what no one else could do, which is to pay for our sins through your sacrifice on the cross, that we may be reconciled with you and now live this life uh, side by side with you as you now work in us and through us and for us. So I just pray for them now that they come to that place of humility, that they would just pray that honestly from their heart, confession, that they would see you now as Lord and Savior of their, their life, uh, God, that all things are possible through you. So I pray, Lord, that we would just live in the reality that it's not about us, it's not about what we can endure, it's not about our abilities and understandings, but Lord, we often come to that point of just brokenness, of uh, confusion, of hurt, and, and Lord, that's the point that we need to admit our weakness before you, that your strength can be showcased in us. Lord, that you will never give us anything more than you can handle. May that be just the life song of all of us. Lord, that we are always giving you the glory for everything in our lives, knowing you can do all things greater than we could ever ask for or imagine. All the glory to you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.